0: So i believe ritual is the key and if you want to start small start with 16 seconds why don't we do the 16 seconds practice here i begin i began teaching it to the to marines just up the road here in camp pendleton who had just come back from too many tours in iraq and afghanistan and it works
1: welcome to happy athlete a podcast about overcoming obstacles and sparking change in ourselves and the world. We'll dig into mindfulness, enhancing performance, jumpstarting our passions, and learn tools to be stronger, happier, more grateful, and at peace. Hi, everyone. This is Sean. Welcome to another episode of Happy Athlete. Today, we're speaking with David G. David G. is a mind body health and wellness expert, mindful performance trainer. Meditation teacher and author of a number of amazing books, including Sacred Powers, The Five Secrets to Awakening Transformation, and The Secrets of Meditation, a practical guide to inner peace and personal transformation. David G. is a certified Vedic master and he hosts empowerment workshops, corporate trainings, life changing immersions, transformational treats, and teacher trainings. He has thousands of guided meditations on Insight Timer, Daily Om, Apple Music, Amazon, Hey House, Spotify and more and this this is true if you type in david g meditations the the, the internet breaks there's there's <laughs> i can attest it. there's there are so many and what's nice about them too is, is 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 many of them are free so there's there's like no barriers so if that's you know you're looking to get into yoga type in david g meditation so david g welcome to the show
0: thank you so much for having me here um uh, i'm honored and i love the work that you do and
1: um Thanks yeah I, well I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time. I'm very grateful for that and um, a, a little backstory on, on on how I met David G. Um, I, w- I was running a teacher training down in Tulum. this is probably about 15 years ago and I was I was teaching over yoga, yoga for about five years at this time but I was just hundred percent just power yoga that's all I needed power yoga that'll take care of my mind. I don't need anything more than that. It seems to be working out. So I'm, I'm at this yoga resort, uh, Maya Tulum and in, in Tulum, Mexico. And I get there the day before the, the, the training starts. So I, I get there on Friday. My training starts on Saturday and I walk by the yoga room and I look in there and there, there's like, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 people sitting around meditating. I'm like, Whoa, what's going on here that I, I used. Cause I, I, at the time I would just see, you know, it was always, always yoga retreats. And so I asked someone, uh, at the front desk. I'm like, Hey, what's going on there? Well, they're, they're like, that's David G. I'm like, what is he doing? He's like, they're on a meditation retreat. So I'm like, wow, I gotta, I gotta meet this guy. Cause this is, this is something out of the box. You know, meditation wasn't really, this is 2005 or so. It really, really wasn't a, wasn't a big deal at this point. It hadn't caught on. Um, so I have to ask you, David G, why do these people spend a whole week to meditate with you in Tulum?
0: Um, I guess um, they just want to, have someone guide them to the stillness and silence that rests within so they can make better life choices.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think, you know, for a lot of us, our introduction to meditation is, is yoga. And, you know, for many of us that the first meditation pose is probably Shavasana. So, You know, like what have, what have you found for people like, you know, we're like for a lot of people, like, are they just starting with meditation or is that also the path, like the yoga, the meditation, or I assume it's all over the place, but what's, what's been your experience?
0: Um, well, it's interesting. Most of the people who, um, are, are reach out to me or paying attention to me in some way have at some point done, um, one of my guided meditations and, uh, because my guided meditations are, um you know, I believe that there's so many paths to this space of mm-hmm. of stillness and silence. There's so many opportunities that we have to, um, some people, they like listening to music. Some people, they like um, chanting out loud. Some people, they like watching their breath. Some people, they you know, prefer mantras. And so I've created so many different meditations because I believe there are so many different access points. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is that um, there's one common denominator out there. We have about 7.6 billion people on the planet. And I would say that 7.59999999 experience some stress in their lives in some way, stress or anxiety or something along those lines. And um, so there's a tool, there's a pathway. Um, whether you take it in a purely secular de-stressifying direction or whether you want to take a journey connecting to your higher power or your source, something along those lines.
1: Mm. That's great. And, you know, and I, I wanted to mention, you know, you know, picking up on, on my story about meeting you in Tulum and because I wasn't really sold on, on meditation at this point. And then I, and then I met you and I'm like, wow, something, something must be happening here. So I, I picked up your book. Here, just right here, secrets of meditation. Which, if you know, if you're new to meditating, or if you just want to like, you know, read about it, like reinforcing what you're is, is, is so so healthy. Um, check it out. But I, I remember in the book, you talk about like the part of your journey in meditation, and you're working in New York City in, in the corporate world, the finance world, and I think you describe it as as you're sleepwalking through life, and. Even though it seemed like you 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 had it all, like being in New York and you know being all part of that, um, but you actually said that you're you're miserable. So can you take us to that part of part of your uh, your meditation journey?
0: Yeah. So um, so I started meditating when I was in college. It was an experimental Asian studies course. Um, there were uh, twelve of us in this class. Um, we sat in a circle during our class um our zen master stood in the corner uh, observing us or guiding us um when we were meditating together we were instructed to raise our hands when we had a thought in his hand he carried an 18 inch bamboo stick known as a ke saku and so when we raised our hands he would come over and whack us on the back so i only lasted in that 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 school of meditation that Actually, I dropped that class after about three weeks because I was like, you know, it's really great, but I can't handle the dude who's hitting me with a (laughs) stick. And so um, I left there, started um, candle gazing. Then I got into mindfulness. Then I got into Vipassana. Then I got into Tantra, then Mantra, then chocolate tasting meditation. And I had really, really cultivated a daily practice, you know, meditating in the morning to start my day, meditating in the afternoon to let go of everything I had absorbed over the course of the day. And I was feeling really, really great. And then I got involved in the corporate world. And as I got deeper and deeper into the corporate world, I began making compromises of my free time. And I started viewing meditation as my free time. And ultimately, I realized I had given up my morning meditation practice for an early morning train ride into the World Trade Center. And I'd given up my evening practice for a a nice big glass of scotch. And what I also realized, uh, that balance was gone in my life. And um, in the wake of 9-11, as I was walking past a row of cardboard boxes that people were living in, this hand reached out from this particular box, reached out, grabbed my pant leg, this guy peered up with these blue crystalline eyes, gazed into my face and he said, what's gonna be on your tombstone? Which is a fairly reflective moment, and um, we hung out in that in that gaze. It seemed like hours. It was probably just a few minutes. Um, we almost, it was almost like we were having like a telepathic conversation going back and forth. But when he released my leg, I realized that I was hyperventilating. Tears were streaming down my face. Um, I um, I was totally overwhelmed by that sort of like I call those butterfly moments where suddenly like. Everything stops outside of you. And I'm sure everyone here has had at least one of those where, you know, there was like, there was no traffic. There was no people. There was no one on the planet except me and this guy. And, um, who knows? Maybe it was God talking to me through this being. You know, I've, I've, I've often questioned, like, what was that all about? But I, my leg, my knees were weak. Um, I couldn't catch my breath. I sat down on the, on the steps of an apartment building right near there and really pondering, like, why am I here? What is this whole thing about? What am, what am I going to do? And when I got home that night, told my wife what happened, she was like, you need to quit that job, number one. And number two, um, there's this meditation retreat in Oxford, England. You should definitely go check it out and, and go there and do that thing. Rekindle your practice. And so, there were supposed to be a few thousand people there, but it was in the wake of 9-11, so there are only 50. And that was pretty amazing because each day we would meditate for hours a day, and I rekindled my practice. Um, it was like my heart had been this um, this white linen cloth that had been immersed in black India ink. But each day that I meditated, it was like draping that cloth through a rushing stream. And by like the third day of this, I was like, oh my God. Um, I had the feeling of joy. You know, I had not experienced joy in so many years. And I just felt so light. And so, you know, I had been grieving and I had been sad and I had felt empty inside and purposeless. And what is the meaning of life? And what am I doing here? And um, so, of course, when that meditation retreat ended, a few days later, I headed off to India, you know, in search of the guru. That's, of course, what, you know, I got sparked to do. Let Let me find the guru, find the true answers. Now that I, you know, now that my heart's a little lighter. And so I traveled through India for about six months, searching high and low for the guru, bathing in the Ganges, meditating, practicing yoga every day, went up to Dar es Salaam to visit his holiness, the Dalai Lama. He wasn't there that day Um, traveled (laughs) down into the South, um, reading the Bhagavad Gita and like doing all the stuff, you know, lighting incense and, and doing a lot of prayer and visiting temples and, suddenly I realized that the guru rests inside, and that the answers to probably every question we could ever ask ourselves rest inside of us if we can only quiet the fluctuations of our mind. Then we can hear our heart whisper. Then we can hear the divine or God or whatever, something, your higher power, you know, talking to you in that way. And um, so I raced home. Um, From India. Well, I don't know. I I raced to the bus station, waited 20 hours for a bus, then took a 25-hour bus to Mumbai. uh, Then waited in the airport for another 20 hours. That's how you race home. And flew home for 20 hours. So there's no like (laughs) racing. Um, But a few days later, when I got home, um, I was like, "That's it. I love meditation. You know, it's it's so perfect for me. I think I'm just going to really um, reflect on that." on that one statement that I had read in that ancient book, the Bhagavad Gita, chapter two, verse 48, when Arjuna, the greatest warrior of all time, is talking to God and he's saying like, how am I supposed to walk through the world? I'm at a crossroads. I don't know where I am. I don't know where to start. How am I supposed to live my life? You know, the, you know, God responds to him, Yogastha Kuru Karmani. Yogastha Kuru Karmani, which means Yogastha, establish yourself in the present moment, Kuru Karmani, and then perform action. And I was like, yeah, that's it. I'm going to get still, and then I'm going to be brilliant. And that's how I'm going to live my life. That's going to that's gonna be like my starting point for every single thing that I do. And after a couple of months, a few friends of mine came to my house for an intervention. Mm-hmm. And they were like, dude, all you do is sit around and meditate. You don't come out. You don't play with us. You don't go anywhere. You just sit and meditate. And I was like, I know. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it great? <laughs> and they're like, uh, no, it's a little dysfunctional. And, um, you know, you're the guy with like yoga sthakuru, Karmani. Yeah, get still. But then you got to perform action. So you, know, you can't live in a cave. You have to like, you know, respond to the world with reflection and self inquiry and a little bit of stillness, and then take bold steps. And so I said, Okay, what, what, what should I do? They said, you need to get certified to become a meditation teacher." And I was like, oh, come on. I'm from New York. I don't care about anyone else's meditation practice. <laughs> and they were like, no, 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 no. This isn't about, you know, being altruistic. This is about really raising your practice to the next level. And if you really want to learn something, learn to teach it. So I headed out to California, which is where I am right now. Never left, actually. Um, headed out to California because I heard that Deepak Chopra had a center out here. And... Um, came to that center did a workshop as part of my teacher training regimen. Um, on like the second day, he approached me and asked me if I wanted to, um, you know, everybody had introduce themselves. And, you know, they said, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm in finance, mergers and acquisitions. I turn companies around. And he said, well, we could use some of that. Would you like to run the Chopra Center? And I was like, yeah, cool. I'll run the Chopra Center. I wasn't doing anything else except meditating. And I was like, here I get to meditate every day and Run this, you know, this mind-body wellness organization. So I did that. Um, ultimately, got appointed the, um, you know, got certified. Ultimately, got uh, appointed the lead educator, and then became the dean of the university there, and taught hundreds of thousands of people around the world. Traveled with Deepak and his partner David Simon, and uh, it was probably the, you know, the greatest apprenticeship I, that I that I could ever have and because it exposed me to so many people and teaching them meditation, getting their feedback, why it stopped, why it didn't work, what are best practices, what are worst practices, what's the science, what's the mechanics, all those pieces. Um, And in 2012, I left that world. You know, I said, let me bust out on my own. Let me travel the world teaching people um, to meditate. I don't have to force it on anybody. If someone's having stress or anxiety in their life, let me show up and Share that, I got a chance to teach in hospitals, work with the Marines, started working with cops, started working in the corporate world. I had left the world of finance, and here I was with Bank of America, and Merrill Lynch, and AT&T, and Facebook, teaching those teams how to connect to the stillness and silence that rests within. So, beautiful journey. I launched my own teacher training after that. Um, certified hundreds of people um, to be meditation teachers. And like that's what my life is. I teach people all the different ways, techniques, um, tips and tools to pretty much become the the best expression of themselves. So that's my, my story in a nutshell.
1: Mm. That's great. What what would, you know, for someone who wants to have like a consistent yoga practice and, and, you know, I, I, I go on and off and on and off. I think like most people do, what would be your, your best advice? I know for me, I find when I don't take it as serious and I bring in like some playfulness to it it seems to work, but I'm sure, you know, you've probably heard all the different objections. What, what, What would be your best advice for a consistent practice?
0: Well, you know, I think there's a really interesting thing. At least I can only speak for me, you know, um, but I'm not big on um, allowing willpower to drive a practice of doing nothing. You know, it's, it's anathema to like everything we've ever learned in our lives. It's like, yeah, let's train hard Mm -hmm. to sit and do nothing. Um, and so like, it's one thing you're going to train hard and get on a treadmill and do all that other stuff or, or, or getting yoga, you know, poses and stuff like that, or, um, or lift weights, you know, or, or, or bike or like all those things. But I don't think willpower really works with meditation. I believe the secret and the key to locking down a consistent practice and showing up every day is ritualizing it. Mm. And I believe if we can create rituals that really um, blend in with our other rituals you know we wake up every morning and there's like ten things we do in a, in in sort of like the exact same order and we don't do them because of time we we do one after the other you know sort of like we 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 pee we poop we brush we shower we groom we dress we make a liquid we make a We make a meal, um, we work out, we walk the dog, we feed the dog, we walk the cat, feed the cat, you know, whatever that is. But we do it all in this ritualized way. There's probably like 20 morning ablution rituals that we do, you know, like if you said, like, what time do you brush your teeth? Well, I don't know, I do it after this and I typically do it before that. And so if we can take our morning meditation practice and push it to the very, very front of our morning rituals, I like to say that ritual is RPM, rise, pee, meditate. So if we can like do that, then everything we touch throughout the course of the day has a little bit of stillness and silence in it. Just this teeniest little bit that flows through all of our words, all of our choices, all of our actions. And then I believe it's really important to ritualize a second practice of the day, somewhere between noon and six, some kind of letting go Because we've absorbed a lot of stuff from the moment we've woken up. We've taken some stuff personally. We've um, held on to conversations. We've uh, perhaps not been so impeccable with our word. Um, We didn't do something we should have or did something we shouldn't have. And so I believe that that second practice of the day, somewhere between 12 and 6, a letting go practice, a catharsis practice, a releasing practice, allows us to then come into dinner, not holding on to that argument we had at 10 o'clock in the morning or something along those lines. So I call those the bookends of the day. And if you can ritualize your bookends and it's not about duration, mm. it's about consistency. So a lot of people say, well, I hear you're supposed to meditate for 20, 30 minutes. I don't have an hour to do that. It's like, well, guess what? You have 10 minutes every morning. Cause even if you tap the snooze button, that's 10 minutes. And that's why I like meditation you can just, you know, have your alarm go off, tap the snooze, slide your tush up to the headboard. You know, you won't disturb anyone who's else who's in the bed. Meditate, even if it's just watching your breath. And at nine minutes and 59 seconds, boom, your meditation timer goes off. And before you even leave your bed, you've got 10 minutes of that stillness and silence
1: that rests within. Mm. So to practice that- Meditation. I love it. (laughs) Meditation.
0: It's it's the secret. You know, we used to, you know, I don't use an alarm. And so, you know, I used to, you know, judge harshly anyone who used an alarm. It's like, really? You can't just wake up when the sun comes up. You need an alarm. Um, But now I think, oh, my God, snoozers are actually, they're not losers. They're the winners. Um, And so everybody who's got a snooze button on their device has a built-in meditation practice. And you don't even have to get out of bed to do it. Um, And if you can have that to start your day and then something in the afternoon, just five minutes, to release so 10 minutes in the morning, five minutes of just letting go. Even if you just as you breathe in, silently repeat, let. And as you exhale, silently repeat, go. That's it. That could be your afternoon practice. But I think those bookends, you know, you'll come into to, to dinner time so much lighter, because normally you would vent or complain or whine all during dinner about this thing that happened that you didn't really like. And then you would bring that into your post-dinner evening. Then you bring that into your pre-bed, then into bed, then into sleep, then into dreams. And then you wake up the next morning. And we've only been doing that for like, how many decades? So imagine if we began the process of the cleanse, of the release, of the let go, just for five minutes in the afternoon. So I believe ritual is the key. And if you want to start small, start with 16 seconds. Why don't we do the 16 seconds practice here? I, begin, I began teaching it to, the, to Marines just up the road here in Camp Pendleton, um, who had just come back from too many tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. And it works. It works like this. So think about something that's been bothering you for the last couple of days or disturbing you or irritating you. Don't go too deep. This isn't therapy. But just drift your attention to that one thing. Maybe someone was supposed to do something that didn't or something was supposed to happen. It didn't unfold the way you wanted. Get clear on that. And now close your eyes and through your nose, take a long, slow, deep breath in and watch that breath till it gets to your belly and hold it there. Keep holding and watch it. Keep observing it. And then release it and witness that breath as it moves up your chest, through your throat, out through your nose and mouth. Keep watching it. Keep exhaling. Keep observing it. Keep exhaling. Allow that breath to dissipate into the ether. And now breathe normally. And when it feels comfortable, open your eyes. And that was 16 seconds. Mm -hmm. That was 16 seconds. And in those 16 seconds, and Sean, it looked like you were playing along. So all of you, if you (laughs) were playing along uh, for those 16 seconds, you were not thinking about that thing, that irritation that I asked you to think about. And I didn't tell you to stop thinking about it. I didn't say, okay, stop thinking about the irritating or annoying thing. I just said, close your eyes and watch your breath.
1: Yeah. I I wasn't even thinking about our interview right now. It was just, it was quality, you know, like uh, the quantity. I was just, and then I came back I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm in an interview. (laughs) <laughs> welcome back welcome. Yeah, so
0: that's so that's 16 seconds so we proved two things one we can direct our attention anywhere that we want so we're never stuck having that that dark thought you know or or, or whatever um and number two we introduced a pattern interrupt a break in the action and we used our just watching and observing our breath you know as we breathed into the count of four i didn't count I just, you know, pretty much guided us through it, but that's really what it was: four seconds in, four seconds hold, four seconds of releasing, and four seconds of holding that out and watching your breath the whole time through that journey. And that takes your attention away from everything else. And we introduced a break in the action. You know, we gave our we gave our brain a breath. Uh, We we gave you know that flow of thoughts. And some people say we have. 60,000 to 70,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot of thoughts. So if we can actually direct them and we can introduce a a space between them, even if it's only 16 seconds, our life can can move in a totally new direction. Mm -hmm. And if you do it four times, it's a minute. If you do it 20 times, it's five minutes. And that could be a whole meditation practice. And it allows you to come to the present moment. There's scientific evidence that being... In the present moment, boosts our immune system. Um, it lowers our heart rate. It lowers our blood pressure. It increases our the gray matter in our hippocampus, which is memory, learning, spatial orientation, hand-eye coordination. It shrinks our amygdala, which is our fear center, our anger center. Um, there's so many so many evidence-based and really important. Um, Scientific, you know, proofs that this thing works, and like you said, it'll it also makes you feel better. So why wouldn't we do this thing? And imagine people make excuses. Oh, I don't have time to feel better. I don't have time to boost my immune system. Listen, we're living in the age of COVID. Guess what? What's the what's the number one thing? It's not the vaccine. It's not the booster. It's your immune system. You, if we can boost it through meditation then probably a higher likelihood that we won't um, catch it. And I'm not saying, I'm not against vaccinations or boostings, but imagine, no equipment necessary. You don't have to make an appointment for this one. You just have to make an appointment with yourself um, and, and ritualize it. So I'm a real fan of using this tool um, to help us maintain um, relationships, to help us uh, be healthier, to help us sleep better at night, to, uh, to help us be a little more patient to help us be a little more forgiving and accepting and to help us make better decisions. Mm
1: -hmm. You you talk about in in the book, this, this really like popped out of me. It was was in the secrets of meditation book where I I believe if I have it right, like some of us are like emergency meditators, like we'll meditate, like, uh, you know, I'm all stressed out. I'll meditate. But you talk about looking at it, coming back to the rituals, like preventative medicine, like brushing your teeth to prevent cavities. Can, Can you expand upon that? Because that really just makes a lot of sense versus waiting Maybe I can actually prevent how I react by having a consistent meditation practice.
0: Yeah, so perfect. I call them crisis meditators. Crisis, that's it. Most people, 85% of the planet are crisis meditators. Um, You know, they're like, they don't meditate, uh, they heard about it, or they. tuned into an app or something like that, or, you know, they were freaking out and someone taught them to breathe or something like that. But that's like 85% of the planet. You know, the other 15% are people who've never meditated in any way um, or people who are supposed experts in that. But, you know, most people are crisis meditators. And, you know, a crisis comes and that's when you suddenly start praying. That's when you suddenly start like, uh, I'll use any technique available. What? There's an app for that? Uh, oh, I can close my eyes and and breathe to help help my anxiety and my stress. You know, like all of that stuff. So, um, so yeah, there's a whole bunch of tools like 16 seconds. We can use it as an in the moment practice. These in the moment de-stressifying practices. I, I wrote a book called De-stressifying, um, which is also that blend of in the moment stress hacks and, but like, oh wait, you could actually proactively cultivate a practice. And then there wouldn't be all these crises. There wouldn't be all these, you know, moments where the the world is blowing up and and the universe hits you in the head with a two by four. So I believe that we can, um, if we're willing to be proactive, if we're willing to, like I said, start our day with 10 minutes, end our day with five, Come on, you got 24 hours. You don't have 15 minutes to suddenly like heal yourself, make yourself a little bit happier, and prepare for the next crisis. I mean, this is this is basic um, uh, trauma science. You know, if we can show up on a consistent basis um, when the crisis arrives and we're in a little more chill space. If we could be the calm amidst the chaos, when the next one comes, it doesn't even have the same impact. And guess what? We're having crises all the time—crises over our physical health, crises over money, crises over relationships, crises over uh, you know our, our connection with something bigger than us, uh, crisis over trying to pick somebody up and you're stuck in traffic. I mean, we can go on. A crisis over this giant pandemic that has just like crushed the the entire planet and and made us you know, hate people or suspect people, you know, there's a political crisis every 15 minutes, no matter who's elected or no matter what's going on. So uh, imagine if you could have sort of like an easier set point, an easier mindset in terms of how you see the world, how you view everything that's going on in life. And meditation actually can, you know, I know I sound like, you know, like a Homer on, on meditation. It's just like, you know, meditation can do this. Meditation can do that. It's just a tool. It's not a religion, you know? And if you believe, wait a second, I think that's going to get in the way of my relationship to my higher power or my God. You know, it's like, "Mm, actually, no, it's going to bring you closer. We spend a whole bunch of time praying to God. We don't spend a lot of time listening. So if prayer is talking to God, meditation is listening. You know, if you want to take that route, and if you're like, no, totally secular, don't believe in God, like, okay, well, go with the science, then science has proven that meditation has all these physical and emotional benefits. So like, why would we ever stop? And why wouldn't we preemptively prepare? You know, so when COVID came, yeah, sort of kind of freaked me out, too. But I didn't curl up in a fetal position for two years. I was like, oh, guess what? Now we're doing this on Zoom and Zencaster and podcasts and let's, you know, let's, let's bring it. Let's connect to even more people because we can virtually and digitally than I ever could in person. You know, my in-person events at most, you know, maybe, you know, a couple of thousand people. But digitally, it's the entire planet. So um, rather than me feeling like, oh, my God, I'm so scared. I'm going to die. It's like, you know what, until then, let me see if I can share meditation with as many people as possible. Mm.
1: Uh, hey, final question. I, I, you know, like right now I know a lot of people like, you know, how can I make impact in the world? How, how can I make change? Um, how does meditation, because I know you talk about this in the book about taking care of ourselves or working on ourselves. How does meditation work in that capacity?
0: Well, meditation is not medication. Meditation is the ultimate um, self-care tool. How can we serve the world by 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 serving ourselves, by taking care of ourselves? If we're um, emotionally exhausted, or if we're caregivers and we have caregiver fatigue. then we're not we're not helping anybody. We're not helping ourselves, and we're not helping those around us. So we need to, um, you know, there are certain pillars throughout all ancient civilizations. Um, pillars of health, you know, of their diet, sleep, exercise, and meditation. I would say those are like the four, um, the four pillars or the four legs of the stool that each of us needs to just put some attention on. I'm not going to tell you what to eat or what not to eat, but I will tell you that, you know, the more sleep we have, the better we are. Uh, We'll tell you that if we can replace chips on occasion with a celery stick, we'll probably end up going to be, you know, it's a little better for us. If you can um, have a a 10-minute or five-minute meditation before you start drinking, Probably you'll drink a little bit less, and maybe you'll be a little more mindful in that process. Um, if we can uh, get some kind of exercise, even if it's walking in nature, or taking a little extra loop with your dog when you're out there, um, or making snow angels since we are in in winter, um, then then do that thing. And I believe meditation really rests at the core of some of these, you know, really important uh, teachings. And I believe you know there's uh, there's this ancient um, teaching in, in Japanese known as ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I, ikigai, which means um, waking up to joy. Can you wake up every day and be in joyful mode? And I don't mean just like woo-woo, kooky, dolphin, mermaid, angel card whispering, joy, but can you be like, it feels so great to be here. Let me see what I can let let me see what I can bring today. And Ikigai says there's essentially four components um and if we can uh, have some kind of divine convergence of those four components if they can if they can overlap in some way all four of them then that's our ikigai that's our that's our sweet spot of like what we're supposed to be doing here so the first thing is identifying what you love what do you love to do what, you know what when you're doing it do you just feel so lit up the second is what are you good at What's the thing that you're really, really good at? Maybe you were born that way, or maybe you've cultivated that, like, but what are you really good at? Thirdly, um, what does the world need, or what do others around you need? Or how can, you know, is, is there a benefit to others by this convergence? And lastly, um, can you be compensated for it, either by rewards that are not monetary, but, you know, um, you know ideally, you can get paid. To do the thing you love, the thing you're good at, and the thing that serves others. So, if you can, like, you know, think of a diagram with those four spheres coming together, you know, where they overlap, because usually one or two of these is always in play in our lives. But is it all four? And so then we ask the question, like, why are we here? Well, if I can do what I love and I can, um, and, and it's serving some. Some something outside of myself, some some group or some person outside of myself. Um, if it's if it's something I'm really good at, so it really feels good to do it, um, and I can somehow get compensated for it, you know, that's perfect. That's perfect. And you know, you may weave between three. Maybe there's a lot of work because I do a lot of scholarship work and a lot of you know cause work where there is no financial compensation, but I'm feeling so fueled and so filled. By doing that, um, you know, such as teaching, working with cops, teaching in prisons, um, you know, teaching healthcare workers, you know, not a lot of cash flow coming back my way from that, but, you know, it feels so, you know, it's, it's doing what I love, it's doing what I'm good at. Um, I know it's serving others, um, and the reward is so deep. So I think, um, and that allows me, you know, doing that work allows me to then, organizations that have the funds and have the resources and, and, and can pay me allows me to do that work as well. And so I think we can all pretty much be in that space.
1: That's beautiful. Where can, where can they find you? Where can they meditate with you? Instagram website?
0: Oh, there are so many places you can just like, if you have a, if you have a device, um, whether it's Amazon Prime or Apple Music or Spotify. Uh, yes, my music still is on Spotify. Uh, <laughs> my meditation is still on Spotify. <laughs> um, so much drama over so many different things. Um, uh, Insight Timer um, and Unplug Meditation, those are two apps uh, that, I'm, that I'm on. Uh, I also have um, you know, a community known as the Mind Shift Membership. Where I have, you know, put about six hundred of my um, my favorite meditations. I've curated that and remastered those, um, and we do videos and guest teachings and live webinars. Um, so that's that's another way to show up. And I do offer teacher trainings twice a year. Right now, we're in the middle of the Masters of Wisdom and Meditation teacher training, and probably launching the next one in July. Um, to really, it's it's not for the faint of heart. It's a sixteen week deep dive. Um, it's a 285 hour teacher training, um, but it explores the source material, the secular aspect, the science, the mechanics, uh, best practices, worst practices, things along those lines and really teaches you how to, how to teach out there. And, um, am typically doing some kind of virtual course all the time, sometimes paid, sometimes free, um, where people can roll with me and learn some of the nuances and, um, the secrets. Of meditation, and so I'm pretty. Uh, I'm pretty available. The bar is <laughs> not high to just to hang out with me in some way and meditate with me.
1: That's fantastic. Uh, thanks so much for coming on today, David G. It was so good. It's, it's been, been a long time and, uh, it was great to see you again. Just love, love talking meditation. And, um, yeah, again, thank you. I mean, this is, you know, as as mentioned before, like your book kind of put me, you know, I was kind of in that, in that in between area of being bought in, but, um, you know, just, I think it's just that the practical approach that you bring, to meditation. And also just, you know, you know, as I mentioned, you know, just for me thinking that as a preventative way versus just like, okay, I'll hear it there is just, you know, get into a ritual. And also it's just the simplicity. I think too, like that is one of the biggest hurdles is, 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 is the, is the time. And I think when we can come over, come overcome that objective, like I don't need that much time, but it's just doing right. it on a regular basis is, 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 is the catalyst is, is the change in this whole practice
0: yeah well thank you so much for using your platform sean um to share teachings like this and to share you know um personal development personal evolution you know it's so important um this is what the world needs right now people who are passionate about sharing this stuff and so uh thank you for inviting me to to hang out and share um with your people and um, if I can close with just reminding everyone that we transform the world by transforming ourselves. Mm. So if you don't like something you see outside of you, then you have this ability to actually go inside and cultivate a stronger, braver, bolder, more expanded version of yourself. And it's it's not really that hard. It Doesn't require you know that much heavy lifting um, to do that. Um, and that's how we. Um, I think that's how we sort of like become the change that we want to see in the world
1: all right that, that's a great message to uh to wrap this up so everyone out there thanks so much for listening and thanks again to david g and catch up with you later thanks again